Welcome to How to Lose a Girl in 10 Days, the podcast where we talk about the opinions of old people and young people, from fair wages, carbon zero, sheen halls, and everything else in between. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to How to Lose a Girl in 10 Days. I'm Holly. And I'm Zandy. Back after all my exams. Indeed. Today, we are going to be talking about budgets. So this is part one of our budget breakdown. And today, we're going to be talking about ACT's alternative budget as kind of a follow-up from the interview that we did with um, Young ACT uh, last week. Um, so, yeah, Zandy, what is a budget and why should we care about it? Okay, well, basically, a budget is just sort of a... I mean, we all have budgets, but a budget's basically just an idea of spending. So you outline all your income and you outline all your spending. And the government does this too. So Labour or and the government and the role of the government have posted have, have put forward a budget basically saying the government's been spending this amount of money this year and the next couple of years, there's so much money we're gonna get back and like taxes and stuff. Yeah. And that's how it's gonna work. Now, Act in Opposition has put forward their own budget, sort of like an alternative counter proposal, is what they believe the budget should look like. So today we're gonna to be looking at that. Yes. So um, basically, for you looking at it or listening to it, it just shows you where your tax money is going. So where they want to spend your money, where they want to cut back spending on your money, so you have a better understanding of like what they want to do with the government. Yeah. And it gives you a much more concrete idea than just the rhetorical side that they mm, tend to talk yes, about. Yes, like, often they will only talk about the good bits and not tell you about the bad bits. So we're going to talk yeah. to you about everything. This is their entire plan, basically. Yes. First of all, we're going to talk about tax changes. So they so this is probably the big thing. Yeah, right now. yeah, this is the big thing, especially for young people. So, um, if you listen to our interview um, with Ollie Murphy from Young Act, he he mentioned that young people are going to be paying more tax under Act's proposal. So, what that looks like currently, it's important to note that we have what's called a progressive tax system. So, we have like how many, like five different tax brackets that you can be in. So, depending on how much you earn, you pay different amounts of tax based on that. So we have five currently. Act want to change it over the next about five years. They're going to reduce it down to only two tax brackets. So currently if you earn like under 14000 which is like a lot of students and um, and that kind of thing, you only pay about 10.5% of tax and it can go all the way up to 39% if you earn over $180,000 per year. Yeah. So, But it is worth noting the way the tax brackets work is that it's not your entire income that's taxed, it's just your income inside that tax bracket that gets yeah, taxed. Yeah, that's kind of a complicated discussion. But yeah, yeah, basically it is fairly fair. That's why people have voted for it. Um, and a lot of countries around the world use a progressive tax system because it is fair. Um, so yeah, so they're switching it down to two brackets. Under the Act's proposal, if you earn $48,000 or less, you will pay more money in tax. Yes. In fact, you probably pay more money in tax if you earn up to like 50000 or something, just yeah. by the way the calculations work out. Yeah. So they have kind of two main ideas of how they're going to offset this, which is like tax credits and tax refunds. So they say that a lot of low and middle income people won't be too badly affected by this tax increase because they're going to give you some kind of tax credit. So they've got this tax offset credit for those on low and middle incomes. But, but it is worth noting that according to X own figures, this tax, these tax tax breaks or whatever, 
will not offset the extra money they get from increasing the tax rate on yeah. poor people. So they're still bringing in more money from the tax that you're paying than they are that that they're paying out to yeah. you. So you're still going to be paying yeah, so more un- money under to the Act proposal. Basically, if you're un- under forty eight thousand dollars, even though you might get some sort of tax credit, you will be paying more money in tax. Yes, yeah, um, and that also includes what they've labelled as the carbon tax refund. So that means that like basically every family in New Zealand will just get a simple per person tax refund, which gives you money um, to pay towards your, you know, um, to, to the increased costs of carbon and like energy um, and things like that. So you will get some money, but like Zandi said, in their own numbers, that isn't going to offset the amount of money that you are paying in tax. So people will have to pay more money to the government if you're earning yep. um, under $50,000. Um, people who earn over that amount are going to be paying significantly less money to the government. So if you earn over 180000 per year, um, you currently pay 39% tax. They want to reduce that all the way down to 28%. So, oh, yeah, 28, um, yeah. yeah, so like over over a period of five years. Yeah. So basically you will get a lot more money back if you earn a lot of money. But as mm. students, I'm we're afraid that- here. We're struggling <laughs> I, I don't know many students are earning over $50,000 a year. I yes. know very few are earning $200,000 a year. I mean, I don't know any. Do you know some? You know you're a student that's earning $200,000 a year. I wish I did. Yeah, I know. Terrible. (laughs) Anyway, so that's possibly not the most ideal situation for young people and people who don't earn a lot of money. Okay, so now on to what they label as new operating expenditure. So this is spending that they're adding, um, from what I understand, to the budget. This is things that the government don't want to do currently and act saying we need to spend more in these areas. So we'll talk to you about that. Firstly, this is a prison capacity increase and young offenders increase. This is about our our you know punishment system. Yeah. Basically, the proposal is to just add more seats in our prisons or add more seats in juvie. Yes, um, add, add more beds so you lock them away. I think that just the important thing to note is that like... Most studies just show that this doesn't work for any kind of like rehabilitation at all. It just it, it serves to harden criminals. Yeah, it just hardens criminals. There's just no evidence that this works. I just I just don't believe that this is good spending. They keep being like the government's wasting money on things that don't work. This is literally an example of that. Yeah. I mean the goal like, really should be to lower the number of people in prison as opposed to be like, we're gonna put more people away. Yes, just like it makes sense if you're investing in like rehabilitation services and things like that, because those are proven to work. Putting more people in prison does not, unfortunately. Um, yeah, and, th- and that same applies to young offence initiatives, which is just youth justice beds. The second thing is they want a GP capitation boost. So this is about the um, health sector. So they're, so they're proposing more money going into the health sector, which does seem like... This one is kind like, of based. Yeah, this one is fair. Um, it's it's putting more money into um, the GP sector. So currently they found that the GP sector is losing more than $100 million a year in aggregate. Um, so basically they're going to increase the grants paid by the government to GPs for every patient under their care by about 13%. So this means that you know GPs have more money and can take some strain off of the hospitals and things. Um, that makes sense. I think the only issue with that is that you just incentivize a lot of healthcare workers to not work in hospitals and instead go into privatised um, healthcare spheres because they can earn more money, which is a problem when you're talking about healthcare accessibility. No, no, I, this one, this one's a scheme I kind of support. The rest of it, epic, but this one I like. <laughs> nice. Um, and then we also have an increase in operating defence spending. This one just makes me want to put my head in my hands and just like sob. I just, 
Basically, they just want to spend 2% of our GDP on the military. I just think that's the most so, useless thing I've ever heard. Just a little bit of context here. This is this is not, nothing personal to anybody who's associated with the military. I think you guys do great work. I just don't think we need to be spending more money. Yeah, but also a little bit of context here. During the Cold War, this figure of 2% spending on GDP, of like your GDP on defense was sort of cooked up out of nowhere. And it's sort of a requirement to be part of NATO, although very few countries do that. Like, very few countries spend more than 2% of their GDP or 2% or more of their GDP on defense. Like, yeah. the only examples I can think of are, like, Russia and the US and, like, maybe yeah. Iran and North Korea. Mm. Good countries to be in the same club as. But mm. basically, there's not really any evidence to suggest that spending 2% of your GDP on defense makes you any safer as a country. Yeah. But also, I think it's just really important to note that a lot of New Zealand's international power comes from soft power things, like having like nuclear-free moments and being like, we're really against bombing the Pacific and things like that. I think that increasing military defence just like abruptly goes against everything that we've previously stood for in that regard, right? And just like messes up that international perception is probably just a good thing that we retain some amount of like we're anti-military and we're a peaceful country because that's what's historically like brought us above our punching weight in the past so i just don't understand why we wouldn't continue that and also from a i guess i just even a holistic point of view like let's say you buy the whole argument of like we need a defense force to stay safe like we're in a dangerous world First, or whatever. i just don't believe that's true yeah. but let, let's, anybody can message me for a private conversation about this matter <laughs> okay, but let, let's take it on its face right the thing is, setting a target like that sort of ignores it. It ignores basically it incentivizes wasteful spending when it comes to defense, right? Because when you when you comes to like buying like tanks, or whatever, right? More is not always better, and oftentimes it's good to choose your battles and choose what mm. you want to spend defense spending on, yeah. right? And just as a whole target of two percent spending, it means that you sort of incentivize your army to buy a whole bunch of equipment they don't necessarily need and they not, can't necessarily use just to meet that, that, that spending yeah. target. Like, it's exactly. not like the, the military is going to the government saying, hey, we need this equipment, otherwise we can't stay safe. It's exactly. the government saying, you need to spend this money. Yeah, but also we're such a small economy that 2%, if you really believe that our safety is at risk because of like the US or China or whatever, then 2% is going to do nothing in the face of the US military complex. Like, I just don't. Oh, no, that 2%, that 2%, we're single-handedly, we're single-handedly stopping um, Anyways, Taiwan from being attacked by China. I think you know how we feel about the increase in defence spending. Um, <laughs> Particularly the way the Holly feels about the increase in defence spending. <laughs> I'm, being, I'm being very transparent about my views here. Next one to operating savings. So this is where they want to cut this is funding. Cost cutting. Cost cutting is what it is. Um, so the I guess the first big one is superannuation. Mm. So if you've been reading about the stuff in France, you'll know that Emmanuel Macron of France wanted to raise the age of superannuation, and he actually succeeded. Riots in Act, the streets. Act wants to do the same thing here. They want to raise the age of superannuation to 65. I believe that makes them the only major political party in New no, Zealand with that proposal. 67. That's, sorry, that's, that's sorry. only two years more than current. But I think that's the only political party <clears throat> in New Zealand who, ha- who wants to do that. Yeah. And it is worth noting that the justification for this is usually that we can't afford it, superannuation. So I just like to this is sort of like one of my pet topics. I, I learned a lot about it in year 10 and I sort of learned the current <laughs> ever since. But it's worth noting that right now New Zealand can most certainly afford superannuation. Like it's there's been cost estimates done out for the next 10, 20 years. Not a problem when it comes to our budgeting. Right. Mm. It's only a problem if you want to give more like if you want to give tax cuts to rich people, which is what Act wants to do. And this is sort of linked to that, but 
New Zealand has been aware for a while that eventually, you know, we have a lot of old people and the young people won't be able to support them with the tax base. So what we've been doing is we've been putting money aside for the rainy day. It's called the superannuation fund or the Cullen fund or whatever you want to call it. It's a piggy bank with a superannuation name on it. Yeah, basically it's a giant pot of money that the government keeps adding to. They can't, they don't take money out of it and they invest it in like the stock market. They put it aside in town deposits. Basically it's to grow that fund. And the idea is, is that some way down the line, They'll use just dividends from that or like money from that in the form of interest payments and stuff and revenue from that to pay for superannuation. So it won't mm. cost the taxpayer a dime and you'll have long-term payment. So it's worth knowing that while ACT is proposing on increasing the age of superannuation because it's unsustainable, they're also proposing on stopping contributions to this fund. So right. basically, one of the main reasons that people say it's bad is because we can't afford it and they're just removing any way that we could afford it in the future. Yeah, so they're proposing we want to make it we want to make it work longer in the long we want to make it look work better in the long run. And then they're also proposing on stopping the only way it can work better in the long run. Um the only really real reason that they gave for this was just like we think that we shouldn't make people invest money in the stock market and they can choose to. I think that that's just kind of a I don't know. I don't I don't understand the principle behind that really. But also I think it's just important to note that a bunch of people like who are poor don't have disposable income to invest in the stock market. So that just means that they either don't retire at the retirement age because they can't afford to because the government doesn't have the money to pay them or they just live on like nothing and don't have money to fund their retirement. And it's also worth noting this idea of the government having a giant slush fund that they just put on the stock market isn't like limited to New Zealand. Most developed countries do it and like... Because it works. It works really well. Like Norway has this huge sovereign wealth fund. They call it sovereign wealth funds. Mm. And like so does like Saudi Arabia and stuff. And it works out just fine for them. So like on principle... I don't know. I don't. I, I don't see any issue with it, except, and I think there is definitely some some irony in raising the age of superannuation and stopping the only way we can afford it in the future. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, another way they want to cut spending is um, abolished wasteful environmental expenditure. So this, they've they've listed things well, okay, here. They, they, they claim it's wasteful environmental expenditure. They, let's they just claim it's let's just let's just read out the programs they want to cut. Climate emergency response fund spending, energy efficiency and conservation authority, climate change commission. Clean car discount, climate change chief executives board, industrial energy efficiency and fuel switching, and the forestry program. So, if you've listened to any of those things, you'll probably have some idea in your head that maybe these maybe these groups do something to stop climate change. Maybe the climate change commission does do things against climate change. I don't know. Maybe like the forestry program, where it's planting a billion trees, could be useful at sucking carbon out of the air. Maybe that's true. So their reason for this, they say a lot of these items achieve zero environmental benefits because any CO2 emissions they prevent merely frees up ETS units for use by other emitters. I think that's a fair thing to say. That's okay. But they say even items that do achieve environmental benefits often do so at extraordinary cost. And I think this is important here because they say this spending is wasteful, but they've just admitted that some of it's not wasteful. They just think that it's too costly. So the reason why it's too costly is because we haven't done anything about climate change and now it's too late. So now it's going to cost us a bunch of money to fix because the comparative is that we all burn and die. Also, if you recall (laughs) our climate change episode way, way, way way back when, the, 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 de- the cost of continuing to do nothing is way larger. Like, the damage that was done to Auckland because of the floods? Yeah. Ridiculous. So, like, 
either way, it's going to cost us a bunch of money, but it's either it costs us a bunch of money and that's all, or it's, it costs us a bunch of money and it also costs us lives of people. So I think that one well, is certainly only preferable it costs to the us other. More money and lives more of people. More money and lives of people. So I just think that it's valuable to keep some amount of environmental expenditure. Yeah. I mean, sure, maybe it's worth You can get rid looking. of the clean car discount. I yeah. don't care about that. That's fine. Abolish it. Yeah, I don't mind. Maybe it's worth looking a little bit at, like, I don't know, the way we spend the money when it comes to, like, reversing climate change, but getting yeah, rid of the yeah. programs entirely, I don't, I don't, I don't see how that is, makes a, sense in the long run. Have a look at how we're spending it. That's totally fine. I'm, I'm, I'm down with the idea that we can rejig it. I just don't think cutting it is a good idea. No, no, no. Climate change is not real. Yeah. Um, they also want to get rid of fees free. So that's for any students out there who benefited from government money and didn't go broke going to university. They want to cut that. And it's also worth knowing that fees free doesn't just apply to university, but also polytech and trades and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. So like, so saying that like they want more builders and tradesmen so we can build more houses and also cutting freeze free is a little bit counterintuitive in that respect. Yeah, um, the reason that they say for this is they say that the program has had minor impact on tertiary enrollments at best, and they say most of the benefits go to children of middle or upper income New Zealanders attending expensive university courses. But also like not saddling generations of student debt is probably a good thing in itself, right? Yeah, I think that's probably good. I think I think it's also the principle of well, not not even principle, just the idea that the the government really benefits from having an educated population who can engage in different areas of the economy more deeply, um, yeah. and just like moving forward as a nation in terms of development is really useful, and a lot of that development can come from tertiary education. Yeah, I mean, like having a skilled work workforce is it's never. Is, is, there's, there's never a bad like unless you want to like oppress the people. There's never a reason that having a skilled workforce isn't a good idea. So yeah, I think that like yeah, it might cost us some money. I think that that's fine because you're just increasing the skills of the workforce. I think it's a good principle to have as a, as a country you value education and want people to be smart. Yeah, I. So yes, we both oppose this principle. I think if you're listening to this, you probably get an idea of where we might sit. Yeah. In regards to the ACT Party, and I'm sorry about that. We do try to be politically neutral it's with okay. this. If you want some pro ACT stances, you can go and listen to the um, to the interview that I did with Ollie Murphy. You can get all all of the all of the ideas about why you know all of their takes and why they think it's good yeah. over there. This is just kind of a bit of a counterbalance to that, so you can yeah. understand. Yeah, um, we do try to be politically neutral, but a lot of the stuff, a lot of the stuff, like even just evaluating neutrally is pretty is like it's not yeah. good. Like some from of an it objective, is fine. Yeah, from an objective viewpoint, though, a lot of the stuff. No. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to give you. Um, so also we have abolishing demographic ministries. So they want to abolish Ministry for Women, Ministry of Pacific Peoples, Māori Development, Ethnic Communities, Crown Māori Relation, and the Human Rights Commission. I think that abolishing the Human Rights Commission in a supposedly democratic country is possibly a bad move. I don't know about you. Um, I So... The reason for this is they just say that a lot of the work that's done in these ministries should be done in um what's the other ministry called? It's like the Ministry, ministry of Cultural of Culture. Heritage. Yeah, yeah. The, the Ministry of Cultural Heritage. They basically say like a lot of the work that should be done here should just be transferred. The issue with this is firstly, they're trying to cut a bunch of spending from those ministries, like first of all. So you probably just can't get all that extra work being done in those ministries that you want to talk about. But also a lot of those ministries are separate because they require separate skills and specialties and unique talents to be able to understand them and they and they require a lot of effort and a lot of these um and a lot of the demographic ministries provide support to parts of the population that are 
like statistically way, way more vulnerable, which is exactly why we have them in the first place. We wouldn't have them if they were entirely useless. Yeah, I mean, that's a really fair thing to say. Because, uh, like, I mean, even just think about this, like the Ministry of Pacific Peoples and the Ministry of Maori Development, right? Like those two obviously would have different, completely different needs. And just like you mm. can't expect someone who works for the Ministry of Pacific Peoples to have like an expert understanding of, mm. you know, Crown Maori relations yeah. or whatever. Uh, yeah, I like, I, I think, I think you can... Like, it does cost us money, but I think that if you were, I think that we should value, like, the integration of ethnic communities into our society and creating an equitable New Zealand over what we should value, like, extra money for the government. I don't know. I think just in terms of where your priorities sit, I would probably value people over profit is the way that, you know, I kind of like to say it. This is okay, so this is non-operating changes. Mm. It basically is operational changes. They just rebranded. I don't really know what non-operation, not not non-operating changes means. Explain it, please. I think basically the idea is is that a budget comes under operational expenditure, which is expenditure that the government spends, and non-operational, which is like not to do with the go- operations of the government, but like also still government expenditure. It's still about it's, government money. Who it's knows? still government money. It's like it, it's semantics. Like yeah, it's it's still about government money. Let's talk more about it. Okay. The main thing in this sort of section is the changes they want to make to what they call corporate welfare, mm. right? And the policies they lay out, the Provincial Growth Fund, miscellaneous R&D-related grants, Callahan Innovation, domestic film subsidies, new market operation spending, international film subsidies, growth and development spending, workface, workforce development councils, innovation development grants, industry transformation plans, R&D tax credit. Now, if you listen to most of the ones I just listed out, you'll notice that a lot of them deal with innovation or development. And... Basically, a lot of the most important innovation in New Zealand comes from groups like Callahan Innovation, which do public-private partnerships with a lot of pu- public money going into research and just getting this technology ready. Because hmm. private industry, for a number of reasons, don't tend to spend a lot of money on research that might go nowhere because it's just not profitable. Hmm. So a lot of the really good science in New Zealand comes from places like Callahan or comes from R&D grants from the government. And ACT, interestingly despite talking about all this innovation they want to see happen, wants to get rid of that. Mm. And I guess I guess from a holistic point of view, like Calhan Innovation is one of the best research group, like institutes in the Pacific. Yeah. Right. And like they, trying to get rid of that would do significant damage to New Zealand's ability to keep up on the international stage when it comes to research and science mm. and innovation and like innovate ourselves out of any issues. ACT loves to talk about innovation. But yeah. here they and are. And it's because innovation is a good thing. But- yeah. And here they are wanting to get rid of the research grants. Yeah. And it's worth also worth noting that in New Zealand, R&D spending by the government is really low already compared to the OECD. And it's one of the reasons holding our economy back. Because yeah. it's so low. And they want to get it even lower. So this policy alone, I think, um, I'm just opposed to on principle. I just don't see it as an investment in our future at all. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, and also among there you have um, domestic and international film subsidies. Um, I think that this is just this is just uh, like cutting of money in this area is just cutting jobs, right? The film industry employs like almost I think it's fourteen thousand people in New Zealand as its own industry. I just think that getting rid of those jobs is probably bad. But also like domestic like the domestic film grants and stuff like domestic film subsidies that's like New Zealand or now yeah those are the, those, those are that, like that's TVNZ that's TVNZ I mean TVNZ could operate without that but like that's the sort of grants and subsidies that allow us 
to have their own homegrown film industry. Like, yeah. you can't get, like, it's really hard to find funding to make films unless you get the New Zealand government in New Zealand. Like, and it probably doesn't sound important, but it just is a very, very strongly growing industry in New Zealand, especially, like, everybody knows Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and Peter Jackson, and it's because it boomed because of that New Zealand's film industry has just taken off ever since. So it is important to foster that because that's where we are getting a lot of really good international engagement. I actually like to talk about the fact that it's really hard to invest in New Zealand. This is the one way that international like corporations invest in New Zealand is through our film industry. So to take that away is a little bit counterintuitive, I think, on their end. And also, I think there's something to be said for like making our own media and like making our own like it, it really yeah. because like when you, you just have never seen the movie Boy, yeah, if government funding for film didn't exist. But also, like if all the movies we consume are made in like Hollywood or like the UK, we don't have any of our own homegrown culture, right? Like culture the, and identity. Yeah, it's like cool. none of the stuff we consume in like film and stuff would represent New Zealand. That's and this boring. is why it's sort of important to have that New yeah. Zealand New Zealand made movies and like New Zealand exactly. made films. It's good. And Act sort of wants to get rid of that. Indeed. So there are there are lots of reasons why abolishing this is what they call corporate welfare, which is like government hands out handouts to corporation. But there is a reason that the government hands out those that money to corporations and, because those corporations are actually quite good at what they're doing and yeah. bring some benefit to New Zealand. And usually, when you're looking at corporate welfare, and this is the stuff that Act's not talking about, you're looking at the tax cuts given to companies who like invest in stuff. Like you're looking at mm. tax cuts given to oil, like oil and gas companies in New Zealand. Mm. You know, that's the sort of corporate welfare that oftentimes you look at, or you look at the amount of money the government's given to consultancy groups, but the act doesn't talking about any of that. Mm. They're talking about giving money to private industry. Yes. But in ways that is actually has a meaningful it's just difference. It's not direct. It's, yeah. It's not direct. And, and like, it's not guaranteed to get, actually get there. It's the thing. Yeah. So like basically maybe, maybe the way we spend some of this money, Again, could be could be looked at, but what Act's doing is getting rid of all of these groups. A really, really bad idea. So then we kind of come to the end where they have a whole load of numbers over a couple couple of pages. There there are a lot of numbers here. It's kind of frying my brain. But, but at the end oh, of shall it, I go for the numbers? Well, basically, <laughs> shall, I talk about, shall I talk about the number section? Yes, Xander can talk about the I'm just, number I'm just section. Looking, I'm just looking at Holly, look, looking at numbers, like, progressively um, seeing her panic. And, um, <laughs> but basically, it's worth noting that ACT is talking a lot about cutting spending, right? And lowering tax and stuff. But compared to their proposal, right, like their own numbers say that, n- that they will have an extra billion dollars of government debt compared to Labor after five years, right? So it's worth noting that after all of this cost cutting and stuff, that's still going to lead to an increase in government debt compared to what we currently have. Mm. And um, it's also worth noting that, that none of their numbers have been audited. Like these numbers, they've probably been just cooked up somewhere, right? They don't we know. have no way of knowing we've, whether we've, they're valid or not. They might yeah. be valid. They might not be valid. We won't they're, know. They're, they're probably just the best like idealized guess, right? Mm. And the actual figures are going to be worse. Because like when it comes to the government's budget, they have a whole bunch of economists working on it and it's audited. This, no audited. I have no idea how they came out with these numbers, Right. And sure, the political party probably can't afford to have audited. I understand that. But it is worth noting that the unaudited budget... It just means that it's going to be their 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 ideal situation. So ideally, yeah. in their best case scenario, they have a billion dollars more debt. In their worst case scenario, we have no idea or like what the actual situation is. Yeah. But basically, or, there's, like a, there's like a billion dollar hole in their budget, essentially, right? In the next couple of years. That's yeah. a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Like, I mean, I could do a lot of money. I could do a lot of a billion dollars. I could do a lot. I think lots of people could do a lot with a billion dollars. That would be nice. So, yeah. Um, basically, 
that's it. So we we run we run you through most of the the headline pieces of the act budget. Yes. And that also is more in here. We just didn't have time to cover it all because there are lots. But um, feel free to go through it at your leisure. Make your own opinions. Yes. Let us know what you think. Yeah. It's always very interesting for discussion. Maybe you do think that some of these things are good. Maybe you think some of them are bad. And we would love to hear your opinions on them as well. We would. We'll have some people on for a chat about budgets. Yeah, I mean, nice and fun. But basically, all up, our friend for the budget, not a huge fan. Mm. Not a huge fan. I thought I would see something more financially sensible than what Act was proposing. Yeah, I, I really would have thought that a lot of government debt would be totally removed. I thought they were going to be ruthless, um, but apparently not. Yeah. All right, so that's think, a wrap. I think that's all for today. Thank you very much for listening. Tune in next time. Bye.